Hello everybody and welcome back! Things are looking a little different around here lately, but don't worry, it's still me, still Lucinda, but you might have noticed that the podcast has a new name. Yep, welcome to the Menstruation Nation podcast. All are welcome, all are embraced, and all are expected to share any and all snacks. So this is kind of like our first episode all over again since we have a new name. The first episode of the Menstruation Nation podcast. But it's even more similar than that. Because whilst we explored premenstrual syndrome in the first episode, today we're examining its much bigger, much uglier sister. As a matter of fact, she's the reason that we have questions, we have fatigue, and we have to help ourselves. Because this week, we have premenstrual dysphoric disorder. I'm putting in a disclaimer here because there is a suicide statistic mentioned in this episode. If suicide is something that is on your mind, then trust me, I can relate to you. I suffer from the very disorder we're discussing today, but was only diagnosed when the university found out that I was struggling to even want to survive it. The uni and their mental health care team really came through for me. They took me seriously and I feel heard by them. If suicide or any kind of mental health issue is disrupting your life, your day, your ability to enjoy your favourite podcast, then the university is here to help, as is Mind Your Mood in the Students' Union, and if you don't want to get the university involved, talk to your GP. They're pretty awesome, and no, they're never too busy, and nothing is ever more important than you reaching out when you feel like this. You can find links to resources I've mentioned here, and some I haven't in this week's show notes, or on the student wellbeing pages across social media. Please don't listen to that voice in your head that tells you to keep it to yourself. This isn't chicken pox. It's something that really is worth sharing, and I hope that you do. Often shortened to the acronym PMDD, premenstrual dysphoric disorder is generally defined as a severe form of PMS. Some of the symptoms are the same, such as muscle pain, bloating, and breast tenderness, but a lot more intense. And it's the severity of these symptoms, especially mood swings and irritability, that is the greatest differentiator between the two. Notably, PMDD can be so disruptive and so destructive to a person's life that it's actually classed as a disability in the UK and the US. So before we get into how people affected by PMDD survive the disorder, let's take a look at when it first hit the history books and what on earth is behind it. Originally known as the late luteal phase disorder, the criteria for diagnosis was first published in the appendix of the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual for Mental Health Disorders in 1987. The name was changed to premenstrual dysphoric disorder in 1993, but it had to wait another five years before it was officially deemed to be a clinical entity in its own right. Interestingly, when it was recognized, PMDD was classed as a psychiatric disorder relating to the menstrual cycle, rather than a purely reproductive health issue. That's because PMDD is generally accepted as a mood disorder, one that is cyclical, which separates it from any other mood disorders that you may have heard of. The symptoms of PMDD range from extreme irritability and anger to complete social withdrawal. A particularly disruptive symptom is hypersomnia. Most people will report feeling more tired and sluggish when they're bleeding, but hypersomnia is, again, a much more extreme version. Another name for it is excessive daytime sleepiness. 
It's characterized by falling asleep in the middle of the day, in the middle of an activity, sometimes multiple times a day, but never waking up feeling refreshed. Another extreme symptom is night sweats. Although usually associated with pregnancy and menopause, this is a common complaint with PMDD. As you can imagine, this combination of hypersomnia and a lack of sleep at night really takes its toll on your brain function. Brain fog, consisting of extreme forgetfulness and inability to focus, concentrate, or comprehend the world around you, can really leave you feeling completely out of it. And these are just a few of the joys experienced by those living with PMDD on the daily. Yet, despite how debilitating premenstrual dysphoric disorder is, it can take an average of 12 years of more than six healthcare providers before the diagnosis is correctly identified. As a result, it's estimated that as of right now, around 90% of PMDD patients have yet to receive an accurate diagnosis. And with the suicide rate three times that of people without the disorder, refining the diagnosis procedure for PMDD is crucial. So why is it so hard to diagnose? Oh, what a cliffhanger! Sorry to interrupt, but I have another question, and this one is for you. In 1946, a film called The Story of Menstruation was released. The question is, which company produced it? Was it A. Walt Disney, B. MGM, or C. Warner Brothers? Answers coming up! So there are two main reasons that the healthcare system hesitates when it comes to a PMDD diagnosis. Number one, there is no set checklist for symptoms. They can be so varied and there is potential for underlying mental health problems to be the true culprit. There is a condition known as premenstrual exacerbation, which is the worsening of any pre-existing mental health problems due to the menstrual cycle. Distinguishing between PMDD and PME is extremely difficult, mostly due to their cyclical natures matching that of menstruation. Secondly, there is a lack of outwardly obvious symptoms. It's not like chickenpox where it can just be identified immediately, or an infection resulting from a prominent bug bite. The underlying cause of PMDD is unknown. But that doesn't mean the science doesn't have its suspicions. So don your deer stalker and pick up your pipe. It's about time that we meet the suspects, Watson. The first suspect in this case is an abnormal reaction to hormonal fluctuations. We all know that our menstrual cycles are array with hormones. They go up, they go sideways, they are likely the inspiration for Willy Wonka's elevator. What scientists suspect is that people who experience PMDD have an abnormal reaction to the hormonal changes occurring during the luteal and follicular phases of the menstrual cycle. For instance, during the luteal phase, as we learned previously, the egg is released and the follicle it leaves forms a corpus luteum, a tiny hormone-producing gland in the ovary which releases progesterone and other hormones that serve to nourish the lining of the uterus ready for implantation of a fertilized egg. The theory is that this hormonal shift can trigger a decrease in the neurochemical serotonin, the regulator of our moods, sleep, and appetite. Recent data indicates that those with a PMDD diagnosis have an abnormal serotonin transmitter. And 
low-density serotonin transporters, making the case that it is this jump in hormones and the drop in serotonin that together trigger the intense mood swings and hopelessness that characterize PM. The second suspect in this case is gamma-aminobutyric acid, known to its associates as GABA. Another word on the street is that the GABA system is a key player in the body's main inhibitory structure, influenced strongly by the actions of progesterone. Now, as we've learned, research indicates that those with PMDD already suffer from significantly different levels of progesterone to that of a non-sufferer. Given progesterone's influence over the GABA system, it is concurrent that the GABA system within the PMDD body would be altered too. Thus, some scientists believe that these abnormalities interfere with communications between the ovaries and neurotransmitters, ultimately producing a heightened sense of sensitivity and irritability, or in other words, distinct PMDD symptoms. But which of these is the true culprit? Maybe it was a team effort between the two? Or is there a third suspect we've yet to consider? These would all be great questions for any medical or science students out there to answer in their thesis. Just credit me in the references, okay? Now, if you're lucky enough to not be dealing with premenstrual disorder yourself, right, then you'll probably remember earlier I asked you a question. In 1946, a film called The Story of Menstruation was released. The question is, which company produced it? Was it A. Walt Disney, B. MGM, or C. Warner Brothers? And the answer is... A. Walt Disney. It's generally assumed that this is the first animated film to use the word vagina in its dialogue. And it was widely used across middle schools in America for health education classes that were taught to girls only. It was a breakthrough for the time, but it had many flaws, including pushing a belief that tampons couldn't be used by virgins. Yep, there is a whole lot to say about how the media reacts to old anti-flow, but that's a story for next time. So while we're waiting for those thesis papers to come out, we can't just sit around and stack our menstrual cups. Whilst we might know exactly what causes PMDD, we do know a little bit about how to mitigate its nastiest effects. The first line of defense we have is the classic antidepressant. We've all heard of them, we're likely all taking them because, come on guys, it's 2021, let's be real. The question is, do we really understand what they do, also known as selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. They work to boost the serotonin levels in our brain to mitigate against mood fluctuations, help us sleep, and try and keep our appetites within a somewhat normal range. But this is often not enough to tackle the entire range of PMDD symptoms. As there is so much evidence for the involvement of hormones in PMDD, hormonal contraceptives can be used to try and re-inject and balance out the hormonal yo-yoing of the menstrual cycle. Hormonal injections may even be used to induce temporary or early menopause in an attempt to reduce the severity of PMDD symptoms. The last resort when it comes to PMDD is surgery. Now, you might be thinking hysterectomy, but no. Removing the uterus through a hysterectomy would have absolutely no impact on premenstrual dysphoric disorder. 
because it's the ovarian cycle that is connected to the neurotransmitters. Therefore, the surgery of choice would be a bilateral oophorectomy. Try saying that three times. Or once. This surgery removes both ovaries, instigating surgical menopause, and requires a treatment plan of hormonal replacement therapy afterwards, which in itself comes with its own complications. That is kind of a bum note to end on, and we don't want you to leave our bubble, so 2020, and be sad about ovarian surgeries, so here's a fun fact to lighten the mood. Did you know that there are ancient Greek texts that note the symptoms women experience before their period, which are assumed to have been written by Hippocrates? That's the guy who took the superstition out of medicine and replaced it with science. An early doctor, as in one of the first ever, he was even credited with saving Athens from a deadly plague back in the 1400s BC. It's a shame he isn't around today. Or maybe he was reincarnated as Dr. Fauci. Who knows? Not us. This is a period podcast. I swear, if I say symptoms one more time, the tip of my tongue is going to fall off. And that's all we have time for today, Menstruation Nation. I really hope you learned something from today's episode and managed to have a laugh along the way. This is a topic that is very personal to me, and it was actually the inspiration behind starting the podcast, to share more information about little-known menstrual issues and to legitimize me spending all of my time nerding out over weird period facts. Anyway, we hope you love the new name and branding as much as we do, and we're actually changing our recording platform as well, so hopefully no more random gaps in the middle of the audio. Fingers crossed! If you've dealt with PMDD yourself, or you know someone who has, please reach out to the community and connect with us. As always, you can find us across the social medias, now at Menstruation Nation Pod, all lowercase so with the double N in the middle, on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Make sure to follow us for more information on our show topics, exclusive pics, and updates on the latest menstrual health news from around the world. Don't forget to subscribe to the Menstruation Nation podcast and follow at Queen's Radio for the latest news on all exclusive Queen's Radio shows and events. Tune in next week to learn more about why Disney didn't believe in virgins using tampons and why we never hear about Tena men. See you on the socials. Bye! And subscribe!